You're going to need your Bibles. So grab them and turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. I have long been convinced that watching a documentary is a surefire sign that you are getting old. Right, like all the, you know, the movies these days, they're just, there's no substance. So I want to get back to the glory days, the Beatles, Kate Hudson, you know, all these things, these great memories. I just want to go back. But, I, you know, I, as I've started to dabble into documentaries, I begin to realize that I think they've upped their game recently. Uh, actually, walking, watching a documentary is more a sign of sophistication. You know, you have a con- conversation with someone. You say, did you watch this documentary? They say, well, you watch documentaries? You say, well, you don't? <laughs> <coughs> There were two documentaries that uh, my wife and I have watched this last year that uh, were particularly captivating for us. Uh, and it's not surprising that they were captivating. They were both about uh, natural disasters that happened in recent years. One was a volcano exploding in New Zealand. Uh, and another was a, of an earthquake that happened in Nepal. And what was particularly interesting in these two, two different documentaries was you had all these people, or just regular people, tourists, who went over and they just wanted to go explore. They wanted to climb Mount Everest, so they prepare for it and they go and they hire out this guide, person who's gonna lead them up the mountain and help them make it to the summit and help them make down. And the same with this volcano over in New Zealand. It's an active volcano and people showed up on their honeymoon saying, hey, what, what else do we wanna do but go and stand on a living volcano? And they would hire a tour guide that would take them on the boat or on the helicopter, fly them over to the island and uh, they'd walk on top of the volcano uh, following their guide, trusting that they're going to help them make the decisions that they need to make as they're, they're making this adventure. But the reason that there's a documentary is because obviously things go wrong. Uh, in New Zealand, there's the, the volcano erupts as people are on it and people are panicking to try and get off. And what do they do? What, what else can they do but trust their guide? They've paid this person. They signed the waiver. Whatever happens, happens. But they've got no one else to trust. They don't know which way to go. They don't know if they run that way, they die, or if they run that way, they don't. And so they follow their guide. They trust them. And the same is, the, is true of those in, in Nepal, those who are climbing up Mount Everest. Uh, they're, they're following their guides and suddenly this earthquake causes avalanche after avalanche. Snow is crushing them down. And what do you do? Where do I go? Well, what else can I do but trust, trust my guide? They're gonna make these life, life or death decisions, life at, at the very least, life-changing decisions on my behalf. Uh, honestly, that's, that's you and me every day. I don't, know if, I don't know if you realize it. We, we make life-changing decisions every single day, life-altering decisions. Do I take this loan out from the bank? Do I buy this house? Do I take that job? All those decisions are gonna make massive differences about where I end up in my life, right? Do I marry this person? Do I ask that person out? Whatever, it's gonna change the trajectory of my life. And we have our guides, right? You, you may have your parents, people that you, you look up to and you think, like, can you help me out? I don't know what to do here. It might be a mentor, a trusted friend. Uh, it, it might be that YouTube channel that just happens to have millions of subscribers. Well, obviously, if they have that many subscribers, they must be brilliant. So why, why not trust them? We have all sorts of guides that we follow in making these significant, life-altering decisions every single day. And that's exactly what our passage is about in John chapter 8. Because the claim that Jesus is about to make to you and me through the words of Scripture is that he is the only true guide to the fullness of life now and forever. He is the only true guide to the fullness of life now and forever. There's nobody else, no one else that you can trust to lead you in the best way except Jesus. And so we're gonna walk through this passage just and looking at three things. We're gonna look at the claim that he makes. He's gonna, he's gonna claim to be this. We're gonna look at the, the authority by which he makes the claim. And finally, the need that you and I have for this guide. 
So the, the claim, the authority, and the need. So let's begin with the claim. Uh, John chapter eight, just beginning of verse 12. Do you remember this thing? It still exists. Um, I was talking to Mark and he actually told me he, he's been wanting to use it every week. He just couldn't quite figure out how to turn it on. <laughs> Which is fair. It's hard. <clears throat> John chapter eight, verse 12. And Jesus spoke to them saying, now who's them? Let's, let's remind ourselves what's been going on here. So uh, you remember the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been in Jerusalem during the, the festival of tabernacles or the feast of booths. And uh, this was one of three festivals that all the males of Israel were required to come to Jerusalem. And they would come and they would do all these things. We'll talk about that in a minute. But there's a massive crowd that would gather in Jerusalem and, and many of them would bring their wives and their kids. And so there is a massive crowd in the temple that Jesus is speaking to. It's not just Pharisees, it's not just Sadducees, not just Jews, it's anybody who's there. Which helps us understand what Jesus is about to say is not meant for a particular people, this is meant for everybody. Everyone in the world needs to hear this. Jesus is speaking to them all. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So uh, I hope you can't miss the significance of these two words. This is a major theme in the book of John. Uh, he's constantly putting before us the claim that Jesus is making about his own divinity. There's about seven statements that Jesus will make much like this. He'll say, we've already seen him say, I'm the bread of life. He says, I'm the light of world. He's gonna say, I'm the resurrection and life. He's gonna make it seven of these different statements. Every time he starts it with these two words, I am. Why is that significant? In the book of Exodus, Moses out shepherding his flock sees a burning bush up in a mountain and the Lord, the God of Israel speaks to him from it. And, he, and Moses hears from him, listen, I'm gonna send you to go to Egypt to tell them to let my people go. And Moses says, well, who do I say send me? A, a, a bush? And he says, well, you tell them I am sent you. I am who I am. It's, it's just a verb to be, to exist it's exactly what Jesus is saying here. I am. You can't miss it. The Jews shouldn't miss this. The claim is obvious. I am. I am the God who spoke to Moses from the bush. That's me. Jesus is claiming to be God. But he, but he adds to it. I, I am the light of the world. So this, this little part of the world, again, reminds us that the scope of this is not, this isn't just for you and me, Christian church people, of the world. But what does he mean when he says, I am the light? I'm the light of the world. So let's, again, remind ourselves of this context. So this is a festival of booths that's going on here. Uh, when this festival would take place, all the males of Israel would come back up into Jerusalem and there would be a number of things that they would do. So it's called the festival of booths because they'd build these little temporary shelters and they'd set them up and they'd sleep in them for seven nights. Sometimes they're on a roof, sometimes they're in the middle of the street and they'd sleep in them and they were reminding themselves of the wilderness years of the people of Israel, right? They're, they're called out of their slavery in Egypt. They wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They don't have a place to call home. And yet God was faithful and he brought them out of the wilderness into the promised land. And they get into these booths every year to remind themselves God was faithful to us in the wilderness. He brought us through it to the promised land. He was faithful. So they would get at these booths and then they would take the, you remember last week, uh, the priest would go down and take a pitcher of water into the pool of Siloam and he'd bring it up to the altar. They'd have this big procession. They'd sing psalms and all these things and he'd pour it out over the altar, this water. And it would symbolize for them 
Moses standing in the middle of the desert with the people of Israel surrounding him saying, Moses, did you just bring us out here to die? It's a desert, there's no water. And, God, and Moses comes to God and he says, God, what do we do? And, and God says to him, listen, take your staff, strike this rock and from it, streams of water will flow. And so Moses strikes it and water flows. And Jesus, just in the chapter previous says, anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. I'm that rock from whom the living water flows. You need me to survive this wilderness. You're desperate for my help. So they would do this. They had the water, they had the booze. And the last was that they would, in the temple, have these four massive candles. Uh, they'd be roughly around 75 feet tall. These are huge. And so people somehow either they'd scurry up or they'd have a massive pole and they'd light these candles on the first day of the, of the festival. And you, you, know, you could see it in the day, but it was most striking in the night. You could see from afar Jerusalem lit up by these massive lights. And the reason they did this was to symbolize, to remind them of the way that God led them through the wilderness. That as they were trying to make their way from Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land, how did they know which way to go? Well, in the day there was a pillar of cloud and in the night, a pillar of fire, a light that guided them through the wilderness. Do I go left? Do I go right? Follow the light. And they made it eventually to the promised land. God was faithful to lead them through the wilderness. So when Jesus gets up in the, in the middle of all that going on in this festival, and he says, I am the light of the world, what he's claiming, what he's saying is that I am the light that will guide, that will lead the otherwise wandering people of God out of slavery, through the wilderness, and into the promise. I am the one who will guide you through it. And that still applies for you and me today. How is it that you and I walk through this wilderness of life? Exile, Peter calls it. How is it that we make it through this journey and make it to the promise? How is it that we can get there? There's only one way. Follow the light. That's what he's saying. Um, I, I went on a mission trip uh, to Mexico a number, number of years ago. And you know, every mission trip, of course, uh, you have fun certain days. You know, the people are trying to convince them to come back eventually. So you gotta go and have a little bit of fun. And so we go, and uh, for one of the days, we're off exploring what, what are called cenotes. If you've ever been to Mexico, you need to, if you haven't been to Mexico, you need to go and check out a cenote. They're essentially just pools of water that are beautiful pools of water uh, that sometimes are above water. You, usually they're under, or sorry, above ground. Usually they're underground. And some of them, you have to get to them through this series of caves. Like you have to go underground through caves in darkness through to this cenote. And so you get there and, you know, just like with these people on these, you know, documentaries and you're thinking in your head, maybe I'm going to be on the next documentary. Uh, you, have to, you have to pay a guide. You say, hey, can you get me through? And they take you and they turn on their light and they walk you through these dark tunnels. And you're just, on, on the faith that you are putting in this random dude who says, I do this all the time. You, you go through the dark tunnel, hoping, expecting that you're going to get to the cenote on the other side. And we did, praise God. I'm not in a documentary. Um, but as you're going through this dark tunnel, quite frankly, anything could happen. All you're going on is the trust that you've put in the guy who's in front of you, who's got the light to lead you in the right direction. They could, they, you know, that could be a perfect place for a mugging. If you were ever to plan one, there you go. And yet, we made it through. Because we put our full trust that the guide would help us make the right decisions to tell us to go right or to go left. And in the end, we made it through. 
It's exactly what Jesus is saying. Listen, if you are going to get to the promise, if you want to enjoy life with me, and even enjoy this life, knowing that you're not aimlessly wandering, where do I go? If you want to enjoy it in this way, you gotta trust me. You gotta trust that I'm gonna take you where I'm saying I'm gonna take you, I'm not gonna screw up. I am the light of the world, he says. We need to follow the light, but he carries on, right? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. First of all, uh, what do you mean by follow? Like, I, seems like a silly question. To follow means to just follow somebody. Yes, that's good. Um, Jesus later says something very similar. Oh, we'll come back to that. <clears throat> and we'll come back to this. <clears throat> Jesus later in the book of John says, I have come into the world as light. Same claim. I'm light. Whoever believes in me will not remain in darkness. So here in John 8 verse 12, he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Here, John 12, he's gonna say later, whoever believes in me may not walk in darkness. What's what's going on? Is is Jesus, he's not getting his his text right. He's got his notes mixed up. No, they're one and the same, right? It's, It's not belief. If Jesus comes along and he says, I'm the way and you need to go this way. And you say to him, I believe that you're the way. And I believe that you just told me to go that way. I believe that. It doesn't entirely matter. Are you gonna go that way? Are you gonna follow me that way? Right, to believe is to trust such that you lean on. That you say, I know that I have no other way to go here. I'm gonna lean on you. And I'm gonna actually follow you because I believe that you're true. I believe you, therefore I lean, therefore I follow. Um, So for Jesus to be the guide who leads us through the wilderness to the promise out of slavery means that you and I in the wilderness that we're in right now, right? How how chaotic does life feel sometimes? How difficult does it feel to, to make the right decision in all sorts of different circumstances? Where do you turn? Jesus says, turn to me. Follow me, trust me. We need to trust Jesus. And how does he speak to us most plainly today? through the word that he claims to be his very own. And this is why uh, the psalmist says, your word, O God, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How is it that you and I make sense of the world around us, make sense of the chaos that we're living in and press through knowing that we're on the right path? Follow Jesus, follow his word. Follow the light, that's his claim. Jesus is the only way to the fullness of life now and the fullness of life forever. So that's a pretty massive claim, right? Jesus is saying, I'm the way. No, it's, not like, it's not like there's a, a you know, I'm the, I'm the brightest light. I'm the only light. You, you have no other option. Either you continue to walk in darkness, go all sorts of ways, do what you want, sure. But there is only one way for you to walk through this and make it through to the promise on the other side, to receive eternal life. That is a massive claim. Uh, So by what authority does Jesus make such a claim? How can he say that? Uh, Well, that's exactly what the Pharisees wondered. So let's look, by what authority does Jesus make this claim? The Pharisees carry on in the conversation. They say to him, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. What what, what does he mean? He's saying, the Pharisees are saying, listen, you're one guy saying this about yourself. Anybody can get up and say, hey, follow me, right? 
How do we know that you're legit? How do we know that we can actually trust you? And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, even if I'm alone, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and where I'm going. This is his evidence, right? How do you know that I'm true? I know where I'm going and where I came from. What's he saying? Uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm smarter than you, <laughs> right? I know more than you. Uh, I had a friend in chemistry class in high school. Her name was Anaga. She was brilliant. Uh, I sat near her strategically in every class because I knew that if I was working on a worksheet and I came to question 12 and I wanted to check my work, I'd say, Anaga, uh, what'd you get for 12? And if she said the same answer I got, I knew I was right because Anaga almost never got it wrong. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. You don't know either of those things. You've tried to figure it out. You still don't know. I know more than you. Therefore, my testimony is true. I, I can make that claim without having backup for it. And the reason that the, the Pharisees are asking him to make this, bring up another witness is because if you remember, the Old Testament law states that any claim needs to be substantiated by two or three witnesses. You know, anybody could come to court of law and say, I saw Jimmy do that. But unless somebody else comes along and says, yeah, I definitely saw Jimmy do that, then nobody's gonna believe you. You need two witnesses. Jesus says, I don't even need two witnesses, quite frankly, but you do not know where I'm going or where, or where I come from, where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. Well, that's, that's an interesting little statement. He's saying, I know, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm coming from. You don't know either of those things. Here's your problem. You're judging according to the flesh. And I judge no one. And this, this is a, a, could be a little confusing little statement that Jesus makes. He's either saying, I, I judge no one in the way that you judge, or he's saying, uh, it's not my time to judge yet because we know in other passages of scripture, Jesus comes as our judge. Uh, on the last day, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus certainly judges. So it could be that he's saying, I, I don't judge the way you do, or I'm not coming to judge yet. But, but I want you to notice what he just said about the Pharisees. You judge according to the flesh. What does he mean by that? You're, you're taking my claim and you're filtering it through your own worldly standards, your own assumptions, your own beliefs about reality. And I'm saying that's the flawed way of looking at the world. Uh, you, you and I honestly do this all the time too with all sorts of different things. Uh, one of the major uh, filters through which you and I test every opinion that we hear is that we will only accept that opinion if we already previously agree with that opinion. Have you met people like this? Do you not realize that you are this people? <clears throat> I had a friend once uh, make a comment to me about a social commentator, a speaker who talks about all sorts of things. And he said to me, that guy is brilliant. He puts to words the things I've always thought. I thought, do you not understand what you just said? You said, I'm brilliant. And he just is a better communicator than me, but I already knew that. <laughs> Don't we do this? All the time, right? We, we only accept an opinion when we've already agreed on it or if, or if it feels right. You know, it vibes with me, <laughs> right? I like the way that it makes me feel because I think it, it jives with the way that I've previously understood the world, right? Uh, you felt this in yourself. You've seen this in yourself. Uh, if you have participated in any sport, if you've watched any sport, particularly if someone you love is in that sport and a ref decides to make a call with which you most avidly, I don't know, how do you say it? I always say that wrong, avidly? I don't know. With, you, with which you terribly disagree. And you, you know, obviously the, the call was against your son or daughter or your friend or your team. And it, obviously that ref got it wrong, right? Why? Because you're predisposed to already have your opinion 
uh, and you will only accept it if they agree with you, right? The other team's like, fair call. That was, I think it was great. Fair call. Thanks, Ralph. We do this all the time. And when we, when we take something that's something new and we hear it, uh, the other test we put it through is, does it, does it make me feel good? Does it, you know, does it jive with me? If it, if it does, then yeah, I'll accept that. We just know, if we just put critical thinking into our brains, we know that it doesn't make any sense. Um, my wife uh, is, is pregnant with our first child. And uh, of course, when any pregnant woman, become, when any, when any woman becomes pregnant, and I, you know, I'm saying this with very limited uh, experience. <coughs> Caveat this. Um, it seems to me that when women get pregnant, they all of a sudden start to do all this research of what do I need to be healthy? All these vitamins, prenatals, what are these things? And of course, being married uh, to, to a woman who's pregnant, uh, you become the unwitting beneficiary of all that research, whether you want to or not. And so all of a sudden, I have on the island all these different pills that I'm supposed to take at night. And one particular night, uh, Shalana and I are going to bed and we both are like, ah, oh, we got a tickle in our throat. And she's like, we are gonna kill this thing. We are gonna put it to death. So she puts, I don't know, eight different pills, vitamin stuff on the, and we slug them back, right? You do it. We both suffered the entire night because our bodies obviously didn't want it there. And so they decided to let us know with horrible heartburn through the whole night. Now I could say, well, I didn't like the way that made me feel. Therefore, vitamins are flawed. Vitamins don't work. I don't like them. That doesn't make any sense. We know that doesn't make any sense. Jesus claims to be the exclusive way, the exclusive guide. And we hear that and I don't know, we just don't like it sometimes. You know, there's God all over all these people who are trying to know God through some other means. It just doesn't feel right. But we know if we just back up for a second, that if we judge according to the flesh, if we judge according to the way that we naturally judge, it doesn't make sense. It's not fair, it's not right or reasonable to say, because I don't like it, it's not true. That's what Jesus is saying. You judge according to the flesh. You, you just don't know how you think and you need to realize it. You and I do this all the time, even with the scriptures. It says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, he carries on. Yet even if I do judge, even if I were, my judgment is true for it is not I alone who judge. Well, here's my second witness, but I and the father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I'm the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. I'm, I'm not here on my own authority. I'm not here on my own. The father who sent me testifies to what I'm saying. He bears witness. I have backup here. And who is the father, right? You can see the capital F, it, it's, it's obvious. The father that Jesus is referring to is his father. And if he truly is the son of God, then who is his father? God. God testifies to what I'm saying. They said to him, therefore, well, okay, where is your father? They're not getting it. They don't understand that he's saying his father is the heavenly father. They're like, where's, where's your dad? <laughs> Bring him in the room. Let's see what he says. And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Okay, this is, I, I don't wanna run past this statement for how marvelous it is. Um, an application that you need to walk away from when, when Jesus makes these statements, if you knew me, you would know my father also. Jesus is saying, and he's gonna say this a number of times in the gospel of John. If you know me, you know the father because Jesus claims to be the perfect image of God the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells bodily. He claims to be God himself. 
Here's, here's your application that you need to run, walk away with on a little sentence like that. If the God that you imagine in heaven looks nothing like Jesus, you're not imagining the God of the Bible. If the God that you imagine in heaven doesn't look like the Jesus who's compassionate and kind, who's angry against lawlessness, if, if, if the God you have in heaven doesn't look like Jesus, you have the wrong view of God. Because Jesus at every corner says, if you've seen me, you've seen him. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. His hour referring to the, the day that he would be crucified. So what, what is all that? What's kind of the, the theme running through that whole passage we just walked through? What's the authority by which Jesus is claiming to make this statement? Saying the authority that I have is first of all, that I am truly God himself. I am the light of the world. Therefore, I don't need another person to testify. I know where I come from. I know where I'm going, but I do also have the father who testifies to what I'm saying. And, and how does the father testify? Well, in, in the book of Acts, Peter gets up and he preaches a sermon and he tells all these Jews who had just murdered Jesus, tells them what they just did. And here's what he says to them. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. With what? Mighty works, wonders, signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. How did, how did God attest to him? Well, look at everything he did let alone the fact that he died and he rose again. So the claim that Jesus is making, I have the authority to say that I am the one true guide to the fullness of life now and forever because my father speaks with me when I speak. When I speak, I speak his words. He testifies to me. So what's the point that you and I need to take away with on, on this? Well, uh, on a different missions trip, my brother had gone to Mexico actually a year before I'd gone with him on that trip where we went onto those, into those cenotes. The year prior, my brother went there. And you know, when you're in Mexico, where is the best Mexican food? It's street tacos, right? But you gotta know the places, right? Some are sketchy, some are not. So you gotta have someone point them out to you. You go and they're the best, absolutely the best. And so what's the, you know, what does that logic you know, end up leading you to? Well, you say, well, if the best tacos are street tacos, well, then the best anything has gotta be on the street too, right? That's gotta be where the authentic real stuff is. So my brother, as he's going through one of these alleyways, he sees a, a guy selling vanilla extract, right? And this guy says, listen, authentic vanilla bean, Mexican, genuine stuff. This is the real, this is the real deal. And my brother said, well, this is awesome. My mom's gonna love it, <laughs> right? And he buys that vanilla. It's just a guy off the street saying, hey, this is it. This is the stuff. He buys it. And uh, a few days later, a friend says to him, did you, uh, you know that uh, quite often the guys on the street are, are actually just selling rat poison that smells like vanilla extract? <clears throat> and my brother said, no, I didn't know that. Listen, what Jesus is saying to you is not that he's some guy on the street saying, hey, I got an idea. Follow me and we'll get to heaven together. He's not some guy who is just making a random claim for you and I to listen to and evaluate. He is saying, no, I am truly the son of God. And my father who created the heaven and the earth, he speaks with me. I claim to be the guide and my father backs me up. We can't just brush him off as another guy on the street who says crazy things, but as one who worked wonders, who died and rose again. What do you do with that? When he says, I'm the only way through the darkness to the promise. I'm the only way. Now, 
The claim is that he's the only way to true fullness of life. The authority is that he's the son of God and the father speaks with him. But why is it that you and I even need a guide? Why, why, Why can't we just figure this out on our own? Are we not smart enough? Have we not evolved enough to figure this out, right? Well, Jesus will put it to us. What is our need? He carries on the conversation. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, what does he mean? So I said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me. What does he mean that you will seek me? It sounds like, sounds like they're trying to follow Jesus. They're trying to figure out where, where is Jesus? I want to know where he go, where he went, where is he? It sounds like a genuine kind of seeking. That's not what, what Jesus is saying because you'll seek me and you'll die in your sin. What, what he means by they'll seek him is that I, I, he's claiming to be the Messiah, the one who will rescue them, who will save them. And they're saying, no, we don't think you're the Messiah. So he's gonna go, he's gonna die. And they're gonna say, well, where's the Messiah? He's gonna say, you'll look for me. You're not gonna find me because I'm right in front of you. You'll look for salvation. You're not gonna find it because I'm right in front of you. If you don't accept me, you miss it. You'll seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? Does he mean that he's gonna, he's gonna go off and die somewhere? That's a really ironic statement <clears throat> because on the one hand, Jesus will offer up his life. He will willingly go to the cross and die. <laughs> they don't even realize what they're saying. Jesus will die. He carries on. He said to them, you are from below, I'm from above. You are of this world, I'm not of this world. Right? Again, he's saying, I, I, you're, you're a human being on a finite planet. You've studied your books. I'm, I'm God. I'm the son of God who's come down. I, I'm from above. Therefore, what I'm saying to you, you got to receive it. Otherwise, you're just going to keep on doing what you're doing. Sure, go for it. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. We're going to come back to that phrase, but let's carry on. So they said to him, who are you? Man, do you not read the Bible sometimes and you feel like, aren't these people just thick? You know, can't they just get it through their heads? It's like reading, it's like reading the Old Testament. You see the people of Israel time after time fail and you're like, guys, he just provided you food and water. Are you not, are you not yet convinced? But uh, if it's true of them, it's probably true of you and me. Who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I've much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I've heard from him. Who sent him? He just said it. His father. He who sent me is true. They did not understand that he'd been speaking to them about the father, God the father. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. You know, uh, you can't quite see it in this, in this translation, but literally in this, these two words is exactly the same as what he started his I am statement earlier. I'm the light of the world. He says, uh, you will know that I am, I am, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed him. So what What has Jesus just told us is the need that you and I have for such a guide as him. Well, here it is, John 8, 24, we just read it. I told you that you would die in your sins 
For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Listen, uh, I just told you that sometimes we hear things and we put it through a filter of, do I already previously agree with that? Do I like that statement? Um, This is one of the teachings of the Bible that quite frankly, uh, I think many, 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 many people do not like. But let me put it to you in two short verses. Romans 3.23, the claim of scripture, the claim of the word of God is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, ooh, that should be a six. 6.23. It's easy to remember, it's the 2.23s. 3.23, 6.23. The wages of sin. What does it cost you to sin? Death. Every single one of us in this room and every single person outside those doors and the rest of this world has fallen short of the glory of God, has sinned. And what does the word of God say is the punishment? Death. How do we get out of it? Well, we need someone to go ahead of us, pay that price and say to us, I paid it for you, believe in me and it's gone. And that is exactly what Jesus did. This one who says, I'm the light of the world, follow me. He's the one who goes, dies on a cross, suffers though he was entirely innocent, suffers and dies to pay for the sin that you and I owe. Settled. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far our transgression is removed from us. How? If we believe in him. So at the very least, you and I are desperate for the light of the world to go on ahead of us, to lead us through the wilderness, out of slavery, through the wilderness, into the promised land, because Otherwise, we would die in our sins. But we also need him, not just for that eternal joy of, I just want to make it to heaven. You and I need him as believers every single day to help us make decisions. Because is it not true that even after putting our faith in Jesus, we still struggle and stumble in sin? Yes, it is. And Jesus, when he left, he said, it's a good thing that I go because I'm going to send my spirit and he will be with you and he'll help you. And here's what Paul says in Galatians. But I say to you, walk by the spirit, follow the spirit. What is the, what is the word of the spirit? What's, what word has he testified to breathed out? The scriptures. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. This is your life, isn't it? There are things in you that want things that you know you shouldn't want. And there's a part of you by the grace of God that desires to follow after Jesus. How do you know which way to go? Do I go right or do I go left? Who do you follow? The light of the world, Jesus, and the word which he claims to be his own. How do you and I make sense of the wilderness that we wander How is it that we can be confident that we are walking in the fullness of life now that we will walk in the fullness of life forever? There's only one way. It's if you and I follow Jesus Christ, the very son of God who died for you and now lives for you. Um, Let me end with this. for, uh, particularly, can I speak to those of you who are here who uh, either have come to church for many years or many months uh, and yet know in your heart you haven't yet leaned on Jesus in trust. You haven't turned from this wandering in the darkness and followed after Jesus. Or maybe you're here for the very first time and this is all new to you. 
Uh, one of the other movies uh, that has been particularly, one of my favorites this last year was about another you know, catastrophic disaster. It just seems to be a bit of a theme. But you remember in 2018, there was a soccer team in Thailand that got trapped in caves. Uh, and they, they go, they just go for a fun. They're, they're exploring these caves and the water, rain begins to fall and it lifts up the water level in these caves so that these kids can't get out. They're trapped. So they start to send divers into the caves and it takes them nine days to find them. They don't even know if they're alive at this point. But those kids, those, those 12 kids in their coach have been in the darkness, pitch black for nine days and they finally see the lamp of a diver's light turn on. And they come up with this plan. The only way that we can get you out of this is if we teach you how to swim, we're gonna, we're gonna give you a sedative so that we can get you through some of the most difficult parts without you panicking. And we're gonna get you out the other side and praise God they got out. Nine days in the darkness before they were presented with the option of life. How many days, how many years have you walked in darkness? tried following after the best ideas that you have, the wisdom that the world has to offer you, all the ideas that those YouTube channels and news broadcasters, you've tried to follow and live the best life you think you can, but you somehow still feel like you're living in darkness. How many days? How many years? And I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you on behalf of the Lord God that there is a light shining in the darkness. There is a light that you can follow who I can tell you with full confidence will lead you out of slavery, through wilderness, and into the promise of eternal life. Jesus Christ is that light. Will you not follow him, trust in him, and enjoy the fullness of life now and forever? Let me pray. Father, we're so thankful that you sent your son that he spoke on your behalf, you testified to the very words that he taught. And we thank you, Lord, that you provided for us a light in the darkness, that in the midst of chaos and confusion of un uncertainty, we can look to him and we can know without a shadow of a doubt because his light shines into the darkness, we can know that he will lead us through wilderness, he will lead us into the promise of eternal life to enjoy you forevermore. God, we ask that you would open our eyes to that light. Would you remind us if we have already trusted in your son, remind us of how easy it is to follow after the wisdom of the world and how important it is that we turn our eyes back to Jesus and follow him and trust him for the decisions that we make every single day. And Father, if there are any in this room who have not yet known you, but know that they're wandering in darkness, that know that there's, it's vanity that they've chased all these years. God, would you open their eyes to see the light of your son and would they trust in him? So God, we praise you and we bless you. And we ask that as we sing, we would sing with full hearts for how good you've been to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.